Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How are you feeling? I'm good, Sam. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. And I'm very excited for the guest we have today, Mr. John Petrocelli, the CEO of Bulldog DM. John is a live streaming OG and has been working in the live streaming industry and world for the past 20 years. Uh, what I really enjoyed about this conversation, we dive in uh, to cover a lot of different topics within the landscape of live streaming. But from a, my perspective, I mean, I'm really interested when it comes to, okay, is live streaming just a fad now? How will this become a staple and how will this live in the industry over the next six to 12 plus months and beyond COVID? So I think what we speak in and get to dive mm-hmm. in and get his expert and professional opinion is, as far as how the market will continue to shift, what needs to happen in order for artists to be able to command uh, purchasing, like uh, to get their customers and their fans to a point where they actually want to pay for live streams. I know we've seen paid live streams here and there, mm-hmm. but we discussed what are some of the different ways in which you can really elevate the quality of a live stream to the point that somebody is going to be willing to pay for it. Um, the last point that really stuck out, mm-hmm. and I think this will be reiterated in the episode itself, is uh, the way John frames it, like it, it really uh, a successful live stream boils down to participation with the audience. And I think we've seen that firsthand with some of the, the artists and live streams we run with Knox. But I think the success and the uniqueness of the live stream platform is the fact that um, people can engage. I remember we were doing a live stream for this one artist, Blondish, and somebody commented on Twitch saying, uh, let's be grateful that for this one time in history, it's acceptable for a fan to ask a question to a DJ in the middle of their performance. So I think uh, making sure you just innovate as far as how you're actually able to engage with fans during live streams is unique to me too. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think when people think of live streaming, they only think of, you know, since the beginning of 2020, but live streaming has been around for a long time. And it's, it's really great to have somebody who's been involved with it for so long. So, um, you know, we discussed the evolution of live streaming over the past 20 years, what that looked like, what success looked like, um, and what success looks like now and what that evolution has become. Um, so it's been really great to, it was really great to hear not just um, tactics about today, but also the history of live streaming since John's been incorporated, since John incorporated it into his career. Um, one thing that I also really appreciate is that for people who may not be able to afford a big budget or for people who may be able to afford a big budget, he laid out a framework for people to create an engaging live stream at all levels. So by the time you finish this episode, you'll have a little history. Um, you'll have what success is in 2020 and how to create an engaging live stream. And you'll also hear about how Prince used to perform at after parties after each show. I thought that was really exciting just as a music fan. So a generally well-balanced episode with a mix of tactics, insight, and entertainment, and I'm excited for everybody to hear it. Let's get into it. John, thanks for uh, thanks for virtually coming out, man. We're super excited to have you on. I know we don't really, you know, get into this space too much on the podcast. It'll be great to, to, to talk with someone who actually, you know, didn't get into that space recently, but that's been in, been in it for a while now. So uh, I guess, you know, to kick things off, like live streaming is in high demand right now, but prior to it growing, obviously it was growing at a, at a much slower pace. So 
what market trends or what piqued your interest in the space at all and uh, what made you decide to, to transition into it? Well, first thing, uh, thanks for having me. I'm eager to have this, uh, have this conversation and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, talk about live streaming, how it impacts the overall music industry. But uh, to your point, Jordan, I've been in, in this space uh, for 20 years, ironically, and mm-hmm. people don't realize that live streaming has been around that long. And what really drew me to it, ironically, was I was, you know, working with Prince and Prince had uh, looked for a solution where you could have a direct-to-consumer music service. And I got introduced, and we were off and running. I built him something that allowed him, you know, uh, being the independent, entrepreneurial, iconic artist that he is, um, it became a super successful for him. And he created, or, or I should say, he offered anything and everything in this music store, you know, uh, audio, video, EPs, full records, um, you know, things that he would, music he would write and create and produce over the course of a weekend and publish out on, on Monday. And as part of that, uh, he launched a massive, uh, I think people refer to it as almost as a comeback tour and said, I want to sell tickets directly to my fan membership as well. So my team had to spin up this uh, ticketing solution. So he would perform, say, at Madison Square Garden or the Staples Center and he would take the best, you know, maybe 3,000 seats and offer that exclusively in his fan club. And how that got me in, you know, I got to then go see him perform pre-tour as he warmed up and then throughout the tour. And if you've ever seen Prince perform, it's this massive, incredible two and a half, three hour show. And then afterwards, it's an after party that goes on and he plays <laughs> for another three or four hours. Uh-huh. And my thinking was, why well, I wanted to tell my friends about this. Like, I'm, what I'm witnessing, I would see him, you know, jamming with Alicia Keys and Stevie Wonder in his living room, you know, at, a, at you know, in general. And I thought, there's going to come a day where, yeah, there's going to come a day where we can share this information together. And it, I was on the board advising a live streaming company, and I had gone through this process. And I thought, you know, I want to get into this business now. So I took it over as, uh, as CEO and, within I think two or three months, uh, AEG, you know, bought the company and now I was fully involved in it and, you know, working in that capacity. And we quickly went on to execute the most watched live streams of all time. This is about 10 years ago. It was the Grammys, Oscars, Masters, Tech Conference, E3, all of MTV's live events. And prior to the acquisition, I had, you know, started a conversation with YouTube about why live video might be important to them. You know, one as a means to drive, an audience to the shows and then to expose the audience, all the assets that live on YouTube post event. And we had this uh, proof of concept with Alicia Keys performing at the AEG venue in Times Square live streamed on YouTube brought to the viewer by American express. And it was, you know, amazing. And YouTube came back to me and said, you know, you were right. We had a happy brand, happy audience, happy artists. We want to be in this business. And we currently function as a VOD business. So we need you to come in and provide those services. So for three years, or four years I did, I, you know, supported and provide the services on the YouTube platform for that included things like Coachella, Bonnaroo, Rock and Rio, Lollapalooza, that Alicia Keys performance became American Express on stage, you know, iconic performances by bands, you know, directed by, you know, noteworthy feature film directors. And that's really, you know, what kind of that process of Prince, um, AEG and YouTube was the kind of the journey that I've been on, which led me to form and start, you know, Bulldog as an independent company itself. That's awesome. Um, so a couple things. One, 
um, me asking you how you got into the space and the first thing you're you saying was ironically I was working with Prince is like the the best intro you could do to that question <laughs> so, 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 so I was like okay that's where we are now that's the foundation that's great second of all um, I you know I've never seen Prince perform obviously won't be able to that room sounds magical um, especially these after parties. And one thing that I want to note to our listeners is that, um, especially the entrepreneur ones, you said in the beginning of your story that you wish you could share that experience with your friends and with, and with the people around you. And that's kind of what spawned this desire in you, right? Um, it wasn't like you were looking for the next big thing or trying to come up with like a great business idea. You just kept your eyes open to opportunities and, and based them in your own needs and wants as a consumer. Um, which I think is really important to to note as a as a as a business person, um, especially as an entrepreneur in like the music space. Um, so I just think that's really cool. I just have a question out of curiosity: What did the live streaming space look like back then? Because I, I I know a lot of us we stream on our phones, we stream on our computers, right? But you know, 10, 15 years ago, computers were a lot slower. Even 20 years ago, you know. Um, what did the capabilities look like in terms of how you could live stream and what were you actually live streaming to? And what did that kind of evolution look like? They were, you know, only word I can use to describe it is really primitive. Um, the industry became known for the failures more so than the successes. You know, everyone was kind of knew about the, uh, Victoria's secret fashion show that was this big live stream and it completely crashed. No one got to really see anything. I, I think. Early back then, to Oprah did like this big broadcast with all these celebrities, and it really ended up being you know like a slideshow. Right? You could, if you're lucky, if you got any video, and if you did, it was like this image, and it just it really, um, although there was interest in it, it really didn't work, and you had to have the massive, dedicated, you know, bandwidth, you know, to pull it off, and it became you know uh, a process. And what started to tr- to happen there, there was the um, adoption and the proliferation of connected devices, really the smartphone and the ability of, of smartphones to play video, especially adaptive bitrate, HLS, you know, back then it was, you know, probably flash, but it really was YouTube and YouTube's, you know, standardization on flash and the market started to really, really change. And in, in parallel, I, I think another important consideration is the kind of the fueling and the drive of the experience economy, you know, really led by, you know, millennials who have their priority in life is a shared experience with their friends, ideally music, much more so than buying a house or a watch or a car. So it started to be this, it started to wake up given, you know, more connected devices entering the space, better bandwidth connectivity, more emphasis on um, shared experience. So if you couldn't be at the show, you like I did back when I, I really wanted to share with my friends like what I was seeing Prince because it was a different performance every night. It, it constantly changed. And he also had musicians that were the greatest musicians like to walk this earth. And as the market started to unlock itself, then you saw, you know, Twitter buy Periscope and Amazon acquire Twitch, um, YouTube starting to offer more live streams. And then now we're in a place where video live video is pretty well adopted on a platform like uh like instagram so now with the social platforms in the last three or four years getting on board and then the pandemic coming on it just you know when all every musician in the world is stuck in the living room back in in april 
you know, they're doing live shows on Facebook and wherever they can. Uh, it just, uh, it, it really escalated and I'd say accelerated the live streaming business in and of itself uh, throughout all aspects of it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's been amazing to see the the massive influx of live streams. And I think even too, just the, the progression in your experience and seeing it at its primitive stages to now where like you could watch like a couple of YouTube videos within like 30 minutes, like be doing a semi-professional like live stream setup, given you have the appropriate equipment in that, in that same vein. I mean, um, I think, I mean, you worked at AEG, you have some kind of general perspective of, and I mean, you're deeply entrenched in the industry as a whole. So I know there's a lot of mumblings that like, undoubtedly massive spike in April, right? When lockdowns really started a lot in the U S and it's definitely continued. And I mean, live streaming is very much the new norm. Um, do you think it's oversaturated and do you think that it will, what do you think will need to happen in order for this to, to be a continued staple in the industry to a point where it, it hasn't, it doesn't turn off consumers, just another live stream. You know, you know, the, uh, in March at me as, as a, as a business owner, I probably had, you know, three competitors and today I have 50, maybe 70, uh, maybe upwards of a hundred. And, you know, I kind of understand that, right. Um, it's when it, when it's a hot space, you're going to have more entrance into the market. And, you know, for music, unfortunately, you know, the, the live music industry is, uh, is suspended and it's on hold and, you know, touring and festivals we're probably not going to see them for at least a year. And there's some estimates that it may be longer. And I think what's happened is there's also been a learned behavior. Everybody has live streamed something, whether you're a, you know, a kid doing uh, distance learning or you're a grandparent, you know, zooming with your family, or you've watched a, you know, a versus battle on Instagram. Almost everybody has live streamed, you know, something. Um, so I think that's been, that's been uh, helpful for the music business and why I believe that, is that, you know, there's been now growth around like live pay-per-view streaming where artists can monetize and they can make money and the money goes directly to them. It's not necessarily going to multiple, you know, middle, uh, middlemen or, or intermediaries, I think, which is an important note. But I do think there will come a time, and this is great, you know, uh, theory, I think, espoused by Mark Geiger. If you look at the flu of 1918 and the massive uh, deaths that occurred, Eventually, there was a vaccine and it gave birth to the roaring 20s and everybody was back and living and enjoying life. I think that's going to happen to the music business. You know, once we get through this, I think live music is going to be more popular than it has ever been. Whether you're doing a little show in a tiny room or you're doing, you know, a massive stadium show, the, the audience is going to be that, you know, amped up and geared for for the long run. And I think now live streaming is going to become a logical extension of that entire marketplace. So if your favorite artist is performing a gig in Miami and you live in Detroit, you know, it's going to be a logical extension now that you could pick buy a virtual ticket or it's going to be brought to you by a Samsung or a Nestle or a Coca-Cola. It's going to be available to you because to the music, you know, the artists themselves, if they were reticent about live streaming, they're no longer reticent now because they're doing shows where their wife or their husband is walking through the room or their kid or a dog. And one thing we've seen is a younger consumer really wants to know that artist authentically because we're all in this, this is our first time in history that we're all in the same condition, you know, together, whether you're, whether you're Jay-Z or you're just a regular guy, you know, down the street. 
Um, but I think there is, you, know, you could argue, yeah, that there is, uh, there is an oversaturation happening, but I also think you're seeing quality being elevated, uh, better audio, better video, uh, better experiences, ways to, you know, ways to monetize. And I think it's also being, it's evidence too. And, you know, I think people want to be around music, you know, the world series is at its lowest rating ever and NFL ratings are, are down substantially. I think people have, uh, in general, you know, music is a massive, massive passion point for a majority of the global population. So there's, you know, there's, with that comes opportunity that live video allows, um, you know, allows us that other forms of entertainment or media or even technology don't. Yeah, for sure. No, lots of great points there. And uh, I speak for myself, but I'm very much counting down to the uh, our equivalent of the Roaring Twenties. I mean, it is almost a perfect uh, century <laughs> like, later. I'm trying to party. I can't wait yeah, to party. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but we digress. Um, in that vein, though, I mean, you kind of mentioned that a big differentiating factor is becoming the, the quality, both from a just general production quality to um, different types of features. And I know there's some interesting like visual formats and experiences. I mean, you have tons of exposure to tons of different live streams. From your perspective, like what are some of the interesting things that that stand out to you either in uh, show, live stream shows you're producing or just things you're seeing in the market that are really enabling artists to elevate quality and off, I mean, really to a point where it can actually command the kind of purchase, like a purchase from a fan? Yeah, we've always believed that the um, the live stream experience should transform the viewer into a participant. So if you just put up a you know surveillance video or a webcam, no matter who you are as an artist, you might get some people to tune in, but they're not going to stick around, and they're probably not going to come back, and they're not going to invite their friends and share it out and have this you know a collaborative, participatory broadcast. And you know how do you get over that that hurdle? One is the quality of video. Uh, I think fortunately now. Even, um, you know, GoPro cameras have you know, 4K. In the pandemic, we've actually used Samsung S20 phones for certain projects that are, have 4K in the front, but have that reverse 8K selfie. So you get a super high quality uh, experience. And we can even, you know, take the video from that phone and send it, you know, we can bond it with the Wi-Fi in the room and the carrier and have this bonded cellular experience where we can encode it and deliver you know, almost a broadcast grade uh, experience. Mm-hmm. So that's one, you know, two, initially, I think people were just using their phone for their shows and, you know, audio, it, anything I've learned in doing this for forever, audio matters more to the artists than the video does in a live stream. So the ability to elevate the audio by, you know, we've even created kits and we can ship them out to the talent that have, a, you know, some sort of a dedicated mm-hmm. uh, capture camera device but also, you know, a real microphone. So a lav or a, or a shotgun mic, and mm-hmm. then even a lighting panel, I think transforms that experience. There's a lot of ways that that's elevated. And, you know, most people have been cooped up, they've invested and they've bought some kind of gear that's going to give them, you know, bit cre- more credible uh, quality, but quality tends to unlock um, more watch time, which if you're looking to have a brand sponsor a show and you're, an, you're a music artist, that's of critical importance. And, you know, that's where you can unlock some, some success, but also if you're going to get into the business of, of pay-per-view, you want to give your consumer or your fan, you know, a real reason to tune in quality helps do that. Uh, but the ability to chat, post, comment, share, tweet about what you're watching again, kind of goes to that collaborative, um, effort. We've done things that have included like live polling or live trivia, you know, so now the fan is that much more engaged, the ability to switch 
camera feeds in a show. So it's the complete opposite of being fed like a, you know, linear television, you know, very passive, you know, broadcast when the viewer can kind of curate their viewing experience in a live stream that goes a long way. Uh, We've even done things in a stream, you know, festival environment, you've got a lineup of artists. You could go into that lineup and look at, you know, in the schedule widget, in the time and the in the channel that they're on, and enter in your mobile number and say, you know, I'm I'm Jordan. I'm a fan of uh, of all these bands. I like uh, Prophets of Rage, G Easy, and Jake Bud. And you can get a push notification back that says, Hey, the artist that you liked is going to come on in the next five minutes. And by the way, here's a link, you know, to the video. So there's a, right. there's a lot of different ways to kind of elevate the quality, but also have a, a level of engagement and interactivity. And artists, you know, with streaming, you can also geo-filter. So tonight's concert might be just for the U.S. And then next, you know, Thursday night, it might be for Latin America. Or and then we'd go on a tour and it could be the U.K. and Germany and, and Southeast Asia. So there's a lot of things you can do in the, uh, in the pandemic as an artist now using, using tech, um, but also having that kind of quality experience that's going to help you, you know, help you monetize as we get through this, you know, suspended... Uh, situation that we're all in totally um no those are some great examples and and potential like tactics or features people can deploy um when it comes to the revenue potential of live streaming i mean i think it's going to be obviously damn near impossible to i mean it is impossible to replicate the live touring industry via live streaming but do you think live streaming stands a chance to become a very prominent revenue stream within the music industry because i know right now it seems like it's happening in pockets here and there for certain artists, but it, it's by no means hit any level of kind of like critical mass as far as like consumers being conditioned to buy. Like, do you see that happening in the next six to 12 months? Uh, you know, I'm a live music, you know, major, major fan. And, you know, honestly, there's no substitute for being at the show. Again, even if you're in the back row or uh, you're at a giant, you know, you're at Bonnaroo or, you know, no matter, no matter, no matter what, I think what we've, and the live streaming industry tries to do is represent the next, you know, best thing. And, you know, with the quality of, of some of these shows, you get a pretty, uh, a pretty near to, you know, close to experience again, not like, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder and you're looking up at the guitarist, but the live streaming, the live music industry is a 25 to $30 billion industry. And, you know, clearly live streaming is not going to supplant or even, you know, remotely eclipse that. Although I've, you know, I have seen things, you know, the live streaming, not music related, but in China, this is like a $4 billion industry where people make these, you know, micro donations to people that are doing, you know, everyday tasks on on a live stream. So um, I I don't think we're going to see, um, you know, a complimentary source of revenue in the live streaming market, but it certainly can be additive in a lot of ways. And you could also make the argument that you don't have a lot of the cost structure you have. If you're going to do a a live performance, you know, it could be a a stripped down performance by a band in their studio. And, you know, that might be, you know, one thing I learned when working with Prince, there is a, there's a segment, you know, there's a whole argument about, you know, your thousand super fans are are your, your, you know, your future. And if you can work with them and give them reasons to support you financially, you can make a great living there. So I think, I think there is a way um, to make supplemental or, or I think additive income 
and it could be through you know virtual uh, ticket sales to live streams, but also um, I'm you know we're big believers in you know the the brand, Madison Ave as a source of revenue for this for the live streaming industry, and that's largely based on the fact that brands are under siege. You know the average attention consumer attention span has dropped in recent years from 12 seconds down to eight seconds. And if you execute a live stream, particularly with music properly, we've seen watch times, 10, 20, 30, 40 you know, minutes. Sometimes we did one you know, festival for Coca-Cola where the average watch time on desktop was 113 minutes. And that's a, you know, that's a big way to monetize. And these brands have massive cord cutting problems. They have brand safety and they have ad blocker problems. And Live music brought to you. It doesn't, you know, again, can be a local brand or it could be a, you know, a Procter and Gamble. I think that's an interesting way to monetize and kind of fill in some of the, you know, the missed revenue that people aren't making as they're out um, actively touring. But no, I don't, I don't see live streaming uh, supplanting or changing um, the live music industry. But I think it can certainly add revenue. Yeah, I actually, um, you know, when I think of the live streaming ecosystem. I think a lot of people think of it as as supplementing the the live in-person physical industry. And I totally get that. Um, but you know, this is just my personal opinion. I do think that kind of leaning into live streaming as its own experience will be kind of like the next, like how do you how do you lean into this as this this isn't just an opportunity to pretend quote unquote, like you're in the room, but you know, this is an experience in itself. And there's going to be an experience that live streamers have that maybe the people inside of the room don't have, you know, like it is with people inside of the room versus live streamers. You know, I, I think about some of the live streams that I would see if obviously we we're in a global pandemic and I could totally see me inviting like four or five friends over drinking and looking at a live stream on a surround sound set, you know, and we can, we can talk to each other. Actually, we're not like wall to wall packed with people in a room. Um, we can order food there. Like those things are very particular to like a, a live stream setting. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, not wondering, but I'm interested to see how businesses kind of lean into that narrative is like, you know, you can either go to the show or you can live stream as opposed to uh, what I see a lot of now, not necessarily anything you said, but what, um, you know, you could go to the show and if you can't, you can look at the live stream as kind of like a, a difference in how to approach um, the market. Yeah. Uh, great points. And, you know, if you look at this through the lens of the promoter and again, having worked at AEG, you know, they were worried about ironically, you know, cannibalizing ticket sales and mm. it's actually just the opposite. I, I you know, when Michael Rapino, the head of live nation, announced a partnership with vice where he would put some live concerts on the vice platform you know he was on i think cnbc and the first question they asked him was hey michael aren't you going to cannibalize you know ticket sales and he said it's just the opposite the more live video i serve the more tickets that i sell and i think that's i think we've seen data that like 40 or 60 percent of people that are watching the live stream have a much higher propensity to buy a ticket to when that artist you know comes to their their town or their city and even when we're doing festivals sure you know the audience is you know they're going to show up for the headliner the big you know marquee artist but some of those bands that are on in the afternoon have you know um decent digital followings but 
people discover these bands that they've never heard of. Um, and we see it. I think um, a great example in the pandemic was the uh, versus battle between uh, Jill Scott and Erica Badu. And 48 hours after that had concluded, their stream plays on Apple, Spotify, et cetera, I think tripled, right? So, and I think a lot of that was young fans who might not have known new music watched this amazing live stream. We're like, I, I gotta, I wanna find out more about their catalog and, and who they are. So there's a, you know, it's actually, again, it's the inverse. You know, people aren't gonna, I say, I'm not gonna go to that show. Um, but to your point, you know, you could have, um, you know, not everybody, you know, Bonnaroo was, or Coachella sold out. You could view that experience in your home, you know, with your friends. We've seen, you know, uh, integrations with like Grubhub and Postmates and you order something and that could get a code that unlocks a different channel or maybe it's a, a place where you can set up, you know, viewing, you know, viewing parties privately with up to X amount of people. We did, uh, I think, something really interesting in the pandemic with Genius where they launched the, the Genius Live platform and did this really interesting interactive show with Wiz Khalifa. And the audience could for free pick uh, some of the songs in his set list. For $10, you could join a, a Zoom party. And it was literally was a, 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 you know, a party and you know, we would bring people in and out. And you know, at, he, was, he was the center of the show. And for $100, you could uh, get a shout out. And for $200, you, he would actually answer a question you asked him. And the, those last two things were, we were oversubscribed. It, you know, there wasn't enough time in his set to even address the, the volume of people that wanted that. And the, the money raised went to his, you know, he's from Pittsburgh and he was the Black Empowerment Program of Pittsburgh. He, you know, put the, you know, donated the money to. And it was one of the coolest, you know, he's in his backyard in, in LA doing this show, but it was incredibly innovative. The fans, you know, loved it. You could also donate in real time to the cause. And this is all done on the Genius platform. But also it was, it was teased out on Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, and I think YouTube. And you could watch there, but you could also go back. You could be, you could be invited over to the Genius Hub to have all these kind of cool interactive things, you know, happening. And, and in my mind, uh, you know, uh, fans, if you hadn't seen you perform live that tuned in for this, you know, you become, you were, I think you were converted. It was such a cool, you know, cool way to do this. Um, and then I think that's the power of, for musicians is the discovery factor that comes with live streaming. And I think it's a great sell to your live show, your catalog, who you are, even, you know, merch, you know, we did something over the weekend with uh, Avril Lavigne who suffers from Lyme disease and did this, you know, interactive concert to raise awareness uh, for the fight Lyme and the Global Lyme Alliance. And you could buy a ticket to the show for one price. You could buy a, a ticket to the show and also purchase a custom T-shirt, you know, commemorative to the experience. And a third level included both of those options, but the ability to also go to the sound check. And you could also um, ask a question. And she picked, I think, eight questions from that audience and answered them as well. And these are things you normally wouldn't get. You wouldn't have the ability to do, but, you know, here are artists adapting to the times and offering those things. I mean, certainly when they are out on touring, um, you know, those, those artists, uh, they're not gonna have any, any problem, you know, selling tickets to these shows. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's funny you brought up, uh, versus too, cause I listened to a lot of music that I heard on versus because it kind of like brought me back to a time when I was listening to those songs also. So in addition to like the people that are listening and kind of being like, yo, 
you know, I didn't realize T-Pain had music like that back then. I'm also like, dude, this is like the soundtrack to my life that's playing at the same time, you know? Um, so definitely a, a great rediscovery tool that, that reverberates throughout the industry um, of, of the music industry in general, you know? Um, I want to get to like a high level question. Um, we do have a question from a, a patron that said, how do you, how do you, his name is Dennis. Shout out Dennis. Um, how do you make your live stream engaging when it's on a much, much smaller scale? And that kind of gets back to what makes a great successful live stream. Like we kind of talked about it a little bit, right? Like bringing, bringing, uh, bringing a, a, a listener or a viewer and turning them into a participant. That's like, you know, one of, one of your staples. What's the, what's some things that can kind of, that work at, at every sort of uh, level of live streaming that, that people can pay attention to and, and make sure that, you know, they're hitting the right markers. Yeah. Well, I think we touched on, you know, first it's, it's quality. I mean, um, mm-hmm. and if, you know, let's say not everyone's going to be able to afford the gear to do this. Right. Um, my recommendation is to really focus on the audio. So even if your video is somewhat uh, compromised in some way, as long as the audio is strong, you, the fans will still listen because again, it's still music, even though it's, you know, a, a video, a live video experience. So that's a good, you know, safeguard, you know, to focus on as a, as a priority. And then, you know, two, going as wide as you can, um, you know, right now there, I think there are seven platforms as Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok are now all offer live video and TikTok's, you know, I think three months into it. Uh, but those, those platforms. So, you know, if you can't hit all seven and there are, there are tools out there that allow like software that you can broadcast out to all of them. And if you can't, you know, you don't, you know, not every artist like LinkedIn is probably not the, it's a more of an enterprise business platform, <laughs> but you yeah. can pick your, um, you know, your top three and, and send your shows, you know, there. And that's an, it's a cost effective way, you know, to properly market, uh, definitely solicit feedback during the show. You can message out and say, Hey, um, everyone's got an email database list of some kind. Mm-hmm. Where are some of the songs you want to see me perform or what are some recommendations or requests or, you know, like Wiz did, uh, are there shout outs that I could offer? And the beauty of the, the situation, I think the, one of the upsides is your fans will give you great feedback and both your hardcore fans, but also your new ones will, and we're all kind of wired for that. And I think there's great. Um, the other thing too, is any alignment with a cause, you know, some of the, some of the proceeds, if they can go to some sort of a cause, we tend to see just a better experience, right? There's less, mm-hmm. um, you know, rhetoric in the social stream. It's more about everyone kind of collaborating together and lifting each other up, if you will. Um, so, you know, making, um, you know, or offering, you know, a donation button, uh, in some of these experiences and a lot of the platforms now are wired, you know, to do that. Right. I think, you know, those are compelling ways to stand out and kind of, and also do this with some cadence, you know, you can't just do it once and think, you know, I'm, I'm off to the races, um, you know, uh, planning a bi-monthly, monthly, weekly live stream, I, I think is a, is a great way to go. And, you know, you can turn on, you know, on the social platforms, this is all free, right? You know, they don't you know, necessarily, you know, charge you. Um, there's, a, there's a lot, the upside here is for an artist, you know, there were a lot of tools that just weren't available as recently as, as three years ago. And everybody's on these platforms right now. <laughs> yeah. And they want live content and especially music. Awesome. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, 
want to thank you for coming out. I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from this episode. Um, live streaming is is the hot thing, of course, but you, you're like a, a veteran for it. So um, it's really great to get somebody on that can actually speak from a long history of, of experience. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me and having this forum. And, um, you know, um, my mission is to, you know, transfer knowledge and to help, you know, the music community through this time. So, you know, consider us a resource um, for anything that, that, that uh, your audience, they have questions, you know, we're happy to, um, to be helpful in any way that we can. That's awesome. Appreciate that, man. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much, man. See you, catch you on the next live stream. Look yeah, forward I to it. To say, I got I got to peep some. Cheers. <laughs> Man, well, that was a great episode. I really enjoyed what John had to say, and I'm really excited to see just the, the continued innovation that occurs in the field of live streaming. And also, too, uh, excited for the, the 2020, uh, 2020 version of the Roaring Twenties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ooh, you talking about live? <laughs> What'd you think, man? Um, I thought it was just an all-around great episode. Um, you know, like I said in the intro, it's a it's a mix of entertainment, insight, and history. And I think that's when you get really great episodes from the podcast. So being able to just talk about um, the last 20 years, how it's led up to today, and also just being able to get to know John, I think was a really awesome experience. And he's given us perspective in this episode that a lot of people don't have. And, you know, I hear a lot of people getting into this into live streaming in general the past year past two years that's cool but to really hear from an og from a veteran of the game was was super dope amazing yeah for sure well as always really grateful for each and every one of you guys uh thanks for tuning in we'll be back next week